This is Michael Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. It's in the tech industry, and it has no fees attached. So if you want more information, go to soleraclub.com. You know, in light of the decision by Justin Trudeau and the Liberals to raise taxes on people over 200000 which, when all taxes are added in, means the state would keep, actually keep more than the individuals themselves, it begs the question posed by economist Thomas Sowell. What is your fair share of what someone else has worked for? In a minute, I'm going to tell you the shocking answer of the most prominent left-wing think tank in the country. The fair share argument offered up to rationalize increasing taxes in the well-to-do was to give it to the poor. That's been the norm, which is why Justin Trudeau's campaign was so interesting. It just stripped away that BS, and it is BS, that governments take from the so-called rich, the top 1% of income earners, to give to the disadvantaged and vulnerable. That's just not been the case. I mean, just look at this Alberta budget this week. 80% of the new tax revenue is going to public sector compensation, already the highest in the country. Mr. Trudeau instead came out and told the middle class voters that he would take from those that made over $200,000 and give it to them. No rationale was given. The middle class aren't without food or shelter. They have high quality health care education. In fact, Canada's middle class is rated the richest in the world. That was last year by analysts at the New York Times. The Liberals simply promised to take more money from people who, the research says, work longer hours, have better skills, more in-demand skills, took more risk in the case of entrepreneurs, and got rewarded. And it's all predicated on the state saying, turn it over or else. Now, I got the, well, some of them hate mails, uh, hate mail, email last week from liberal supporters for pointing out that. But it doesn't change the fact that that was a central message of the liberal advertising campaign. What's interesting to note is that Sowell's question, what is your fair share of what someone else has worked for, is far tougher than simply asking, what's the fair share? Because, as he points out, taxes are not distributed, they're earned. When it comes to taxes and government spending, the key debate between the parties is, whose money are we talking about? Is it the government's, as both the center-left seem to uh, believe, when policy determining how much workers are allowed to keep, or... On the right, they think the money belongs to the individual. And how much money do you give to government? That's a big uh, difference. And as long as we're talking about someone else's money, a huge proportion of Canadians seem to believe that the government has the right to take whatever it deems fit. But is there a limit? The uh, NDP's Thomas Mulcair says that taxation above 50% is confiscation. Conservatives agree. The Liberals obviously don't. But they're all still pikers when it comes to many on the left which was clearly spelled out this week in a report by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, recommending that anyone making over 200000 in other words, you don't qualify for a traditional mortgage on a single detached home in Vancouver, but anyone making over 200000 should be taxed at, are you ready, 65%. But of course, it's not 65%, that's we're talking income tax. But we pay a huge myriad of other taxes that get so conveniently ignored in these debates. We pay property taxes, sales taxes, liquor taxes, gasoline taxes, de facto milk, egg, dairy, marketing board taxes, user fees galores, medical premiums, carbon tax, tobacco tax, permit tax, hotel tax, payroll tax, air conditioning tax, airport security tax, airport departure tax, airport navigation tax, tire tax, battery disposal tax, and other environmental taxes. 18,000 government tariffs on imported goods. I hope you're getting the idea. 
But I want you to consider the proposal, and to use Mr. Mulcair's word, confiscate 65% of a medical specialist income over 200000 or a family business owner who slaved away for decades, finally made it financially, or a veterinarian who started his, his or her own business, or anyone else who displayed the skills and work ethic to make over two hundred grand a year. That can only be done by coercion, by threat from the state. Final point, and I think the most important, one that you're not going to hear anywhere else in the mainstream media, you've got to understand that the problems for government are financial. Their goal is to maintain the status quo, and they will do whatever it takes. And it starts with raising taxes under mandatory fees. Every province in this country has done that over the last two years. But it's already gone beyond taxation. It's moved to eliminate cash so they can track every financial move you make, to negative interest rates would act just like a tax. The confiscations of savings accounts, as they did in Cyprus, under the full blessings of the European Union. Or what about the default on Greek government debt, but it was only on that held by the private sector, not public, just private. No, that's the world we're living in. I wouldn't be too casual about the question, what is your fair share of what someone else has worked for? I'll take a break. We're coming back with the top three stories that smart people are talking about. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. For more information, go to soleraclub.com. Graduate coming here with us today. I got John Johnson coming up. This is the guy who joined us. It was over two years ago. I'll get the date before uh, in the next couple of minutes. But Canadian dollars trading a buck, buck three U.S. And I remember John coming on and saying to us, you know what? I think it's going to 70 cents. At the time, people kind of went, oh, but we agreed with him on money talks. That's been a central theme of Michael Levy, of Victor Adair, of myself, that you had to have U.S. dollars. Well, we've come down to 75, as you well know. It's going to be fascinating to hear what John's got to say, what he thinks is coming forward. There is that 70 cent mark still in play. Joining me right now on the line is Michael Levy. Top three stories that smart people are talking about. Mike, what's number three? Well, this is interesting, Michael, because it's what goes around comes around. And this happened in the late 90s and early 2000s. Nissan warns Canadian dealers against cross-border sales. Now, quickly, Mike, what they're saying is today, let's say you buy a car for $20,000 U.S. In, in the United States. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that same car, new car in Canada, is going to be 26000 Canadian because you're going to add the 30% that a U.S. dollar will bring if you convert it into Canadian funds. That car might sell for 21000 in Canadian, in Canadian dollars, because car companies price at the market in the, in the country in which they're selling. And it's not a level playing field all over the world. So Canadians will take that car at 21000 and send it to the U.S. and pick up four or $5,000 profit because of the exchange difference. What Nissan is telling their, do- their dealers, and by the way, other car manufacturers, don't sell cars that are destined for Canadian consumption across the border into the U.S. and warning, if they do, they're going to lift their dealer licenses. Well, I mean, as you say, this is for a turnaround. A ton of Canadians, when the Canadian dollar was north of a, do- uh, you know, of a par situation, were buying U.S. cars and bringing it back across. I mean, that was commonplace. So it's just another reminder of how important those currency exchange rates are. And, and interesting, as you point out, Mike, that this could have a huge implication. Obviously, U.S. dealers would not be happy of uh, seeing discounted Canadian cars sold into their market. 
And, Mike, on the used car uh, market, uh, there is no restriction. There can't be because there's nobody to stand in the way. So used cars are leaving Canada on a wholesale level, and that's why there's a shortage of used cars now in Canada, and that's why you hear ads in or on the radio you see ads in the newspaper online that dealers are willing to pay premium prices for used good condition canadian cars not because they can sell them in canada but because they're shipping them south and picking up the difference in the exchange rate but in the new car business chev chrysler ford gm nissan toyota down the line are telling their dealers if you do that we're going to lift your franchise. And, Mike, it just brings one other question before we leave this topic. Uh, where is the freedom to be able to buy and sell where you want the products that you own? Well, apparently, in the new car business, you don't have that freedom. Let's go to number two. <clears throat> Bombardier, Inc. is a symbol Canada can't keep bailing out. And that's what <laughs> the news this past week that the Quebec government was going to put uh, $1 billion into the hands of Bombardier to help bail out the production of their new C-Series passenger jet. And, Mike, I hasten to say, going back to U.S. Canadian, it's not Canadian $1 billion, it's U.S. $1 billion that they're going to put in, so it's $1.3 billion. Well, I think what people have got to hear in that is they just lent money to Bombardier. I mean, this is tax dollars going in, and it doesn't matter that it starts with Quebec. There's a big move now to push for the Ottawa to match it, but they've done that in the past. Uh, you know, and plus, of course, transfer payments means that some of that money could be, uh, you know, from the rest of Canada. But it is incredible. This is talk about a serial bailout, eh, Mike? I mean, boy, Bombardier has been on that list of receiving government or government again. We should always say taxpayer. It's the taxpayer. The private sector wants nothing to do with bailing out this country, uh, company, rather. So it's the taxpayer has been forced to step up. Well, it is, Mike, and this is after the company took a $3.2 billion charge against earnings on Thursday as they reported their earnings, and that $3.2 billion charge is against the C-Series jet because they spent so much money developing it. This is money that Bombardier will never get back because they've taken the charge, and this is money they're asking, as you say, Quebec to put in, and then they're going to ask the feds to match it. And by the way, just one more thing, Michael, before we leave this topic, that the uh, Bombardier stock closed at about $1.40 on, uh, thir- or on Friday, and that means it's down 66% this year, and it's Canada's worst-performing industrial stock. I don't like the fact that my money is going to help bail out that country or, or that company. There you go. What's number one? Austerity. Goodbye to all of that. And this is Douglas Porter reporting on Friday, talking about the fact that they have this budget deal now in the U.S. and Congress not to hold up funding for U.S. government until after the next election in 2016 and the president is sworn in the new president in 2017 so they've given the united states government and the white house a carte blanche to get back on the spending train once again
Well, again, this is a, you know, people might want to uh, drop back to October. I think it was October of uh, uh, 2013. This put a lot of uncertainty in the market. There was a ton of talk because they didn't have a budget deal and uh, a ton of talk about, you know, whether the U.S. was not going to have the cash to default by November, that kind of stuff. And it really, I think, uh, took the public to another level of cynicism because both parties couldn't get together. So, uh, you know, again, the uncertainty was building again when they couldn't reach an agreement in September. They pushed it off uh, to December, but we, they have a debt obligations due by November. So I, I think there's, you know, it's sort of like bad news, but it's probably the best of the bad news that we sort of push it off until we get these elections done. But as you say, Mike, the big story here is, boy, is this ever business as usual? It, it is, Mike. And what it does is highlight the panoramic, the panoramic shift to easier fiscal policy, not just in the U.S., but much of the developed world. And this is what's going on, is this easier fiscal policy. So it just begs the question, are we going back to that policy, which we needed in 208, 29, 210, 211, with the U.S. once again opening the floodgates for spending? And you know as well as I, the spending is not done strategically, but a lot of it is done politically. So, you know, it, it just far outweighs the U.S. Federal Reserve decision, which nobody remembers took place this week and could be an interest rate hike in December. But that didn't even make the front page compared to this story about yeah. uh, the Congress passing this uh, law. Well, as I say, I think it did put some certainty back into the marketplace, at least from the political standpoint. Thank you, Michael. Go out and have a terrific weekend. A happy Halloween, by the way. Uh, and uh, congratulations to you, new Okay, there you Michael go. Campbell. There you go. <laughs> We're going to take a break. I'm coming back. I've got the big uh, Mike's big fat idea. Aaron Dunn is going to join me from Keystone. What does he think you should put on your radar screen? We're always looking for good money-making ideas, yielding ideas, something good for your portfolio. That's Mike's big fat idea coming up in just a moment's time. Coming up, John Johnson, I think you're going to find he is not in the consensus as he wasn't over two years ago when he told you the Canadian dollar over par is going to 70 cents. We're going to get an update on that projection, plus much more from John Johnston, Chief Strategist Sir Davis Ray. Also, uh, wait till you hear my Goofy Award. Is this guy going to be the biggest jerk in America? Well, I'll let you be the judge. I'll tell you about it before we're done here today. Right now, though, very pleased to welcome to the show Aaron Dunn. He is the man who runs an incredibly successful portfolio looking for growth and yield uh, for Keystone Financial. Aaron, first of all, appreciate you finding time, and it's Mike's big fat idea, so what should we put in our radar screen? Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. So I figured since this is your big fat idea, I would bring something with a big fat dividend. Uh, the company is Exchange Income Corp. The symbol is EIF. This has primarily been a growth by acquisition company. They currently own 13 different businesses in specialty aviation and manufacturing. Right now, the company pays a dividend yield of almost 8%. In the past, I've always cautioned people not to get too excited about a high dividend yield. It's often more a cause for concern than an opportunity. But in this case, the company's payout ratio for the year should be about 75%. And the businesses that it operates, particularly on the aviation side, are generally pretty stable. A couple of years ago, Exchange had some challenges with one of its companies, and this temporarily impacted financial performance. So investors became concerned, and some people thought that the dividend wasn't sustainable, but over the, last, over the last year, they've been doing all the right things. They sold the business that was causing an issue. 
um, at a profit. They completed their largest acquisition to date at the start of this year, which has been meeting and exceeding expectations. And they've been generating great organic growth and momentum in their existing businesses. So free cash flow per share has been increasing. They've been growing their dividend. Uh, the payout ratio has been declining. And these are all things that we, we love to see. There should be a fairly strong growth profile for exchange uh, for at least the next couple of quarters. And I think that over the next six months, investor sentiment on the company is going to continue to improve. And we should see good share price appreciation in addition to that big fat yield. Well, obviously, I mean, this is the kind of thing you do for key, uh, Keystone Financial, uh, keystocks.com, by the way, uh, and have had a great track record on. When I look at this, so obviously we're looking for people, uh, what kind of risk category would you put them in? Uh, you know, are you sort of, is this one of your, because in your portfolio, you always make it very clear, this is for someone uh, for uh, looking for aggressive growth. Uh, you guys have done so well with the small caps, but you also go, okay, this is a very conservative yield play. How do you, how do you characterize this from a yield perspective? So for exchange, we have this company categorized in our aggressive portfolio. And I, I want to emphasize that doesn't mean that we think that it's a speculative investment. We think it's actually a very solid business with good long-term fundamentals. Um, but it is uh, about a $600 million market cap company, so small mid-cap. And then the, the growth through acquisition stories, um, generally, they, they have a little more risk. There's, there's great upside, but there's also some risk. So you know, for, for, for the most part, we would call it aggressive. That doesn't mean that some more conservative investors can't own it, but you just have to make sure that you weight it appropriately in your portfolio based on your personal risk. And when you look at something like this, uh, you know, time frame for holding it, do you sort of say, hey, look, be prepared to hold something like this for about three years, or, or what is it? Yeah, we generally say we generally say be prepared to hold the stock for one to three years. Um, in this case, I think that it could be a, a very solid long-term investment, but one thing that I, I really like about the business is that there's a lot of visible growth um, coming in over just the next couple of quarters here. And as I said before, they had those challenges in the past. So the valuation right now is, is quite attractive. Um, I think that it's, uh, it, it's an undervalued story. And as we, we get to the next couple of quarters here and the payout ratio continues to decline and the free cash flow continues to grow, then that valuation is, is going to increase. So I think, you know, over the next couple of quarters, you could see a decent return out of this company as well. I'm talking with Aaron Dunn. Mike's big fat idea, the symbol is EIF.to. This is the kind of thing you talk to uh, your financial advisor, see if it fits what you're doing, but that's what we do every week with Mike's big fat idea. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for finding time for us, and go out and enjoy Halloween. Great. You too, Mike. Thanks a lot. Aaron Dunn, keystocks.com. Keystone Financial, keystocks.com. Hey, wait till you hear my shocking stat. One of the most confusing aspects of the environment today uh, is negative interest rates. You actually lend money to government and you get guaranteed to get less back. Well, wait till you hear a shocking stat regarding that. Plus, Aussie Jurek coming up, Victor Dare live from the trading desk. And stay with me, John Johnson, Chief Strategist, Davis Ray. All of that coming your way right here on Money Talks.